You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You, you feel this, this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. This is the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. If you'd like to call in, if you'd like to participate in the show, please feel free to do so. The phone number here is 608-501-0718. New callers go directly to the front of the line. We don't have any new callers today, so let's start with Jersey Mike. Hey, Ryan, it's Jersey Mike. Uh, on my way back from the gym, I've calmed down a little bit. I'm still heated, but I'm, I'm a little calmer now. Um, it seems like you're finally understanding what I'm saying. Um, and I've been trying to tell you all along, we're not, we're not on a different page. We're just understanding it differently. Um, yeah, I, I, I have been absolutely on board with Matt LaFleur as a great play caller. But he's just not calling the right plays for this team. That's why I said the scheme isn't working. Um, and yeah, that comes down to execution, but it comes down to the way that these guys know how to play football. And that's why I talked about simplifying it so much, um, making it so that, you know, there wasn't too much going on inside the heads of the guys and they could just go out there and play one type of football and, and win at that, which is why I called for us to get away from the zone run and us to go towards, uh, gap blocking, um, and primarily gap blocking when it comes to running, so that way, you know, it, it's it's more simplified. You've got this assignment, you've got this assignment, we don't got to worry about somebody pulling somewhere and blah, 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 blah. And that includes motioning tight ends like Josiah DeGuara, who basically turns Tucker Craft into a non-blocker because he trips on Tucker Craft and forces Tucker Craft to not be able to go after the guy he was originally blocking, and then DeGuara whips on the other guy that he was supposed to block in the first place. Um it would also make it so that, you know, Myers doesn't get confused about going right instead of left, um, so that, that he does go right instead of left, rather. And, and those are just the simple things, um, which is why I've been so frustrated with this Matt LaFleur offense. Um, I, I, I know he wants to dig in his bag of tricks and his bag of scheme and, and whatnot, but this, is, this, this team is not ready for it uh, at all. Um, and I really think that if we can get back to basics, you know, it's not like we can't run a bunch of different plays off of the same version of one play. And, and that's what LaFleur was so great at. So let's, let's take one play that looks one way and run 20 different plays out of it 
so nobody can defend against it. Like, if that's what has to be done, that's what has to be done. And then build off of that once the guys start getting it down. Um, and I don't know why we're we're not thinking like that. Um, and that, that comes down to LeFleur just not, not understanding what he's working with and not trying to do a better job. And quite frankly, his attitude in the press conferences is just making me more and more disgusted. On the Jordan Love front, Love needs to play better. Um, it's hard to gain consistency, though, and play good when your, your offense is letting you down. Um, so I, my evaluation on Jordan Love is he's been playing poorly, but I can't say that it's, it's all on him. So I'd like to see us clean it up and maybe actually see something from Jordan Love. Anyway, go Pack Go. Yeah, I mean, we're still not 100% on the same track here, but it's it's freaking close enough. Um, I don't think there are a series of plays that fix this. Um, I think that this is this is broken, and, and I do think that's a Matt LaFleur issue. I don't think that you can simplify or, or complicate or anything your way out of this situation. This is a team that is unprepared, unmotivated, um, and just just from what I've seen, it doesn't. They can't execute the simplest of plays. You know, um, the 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 play that everybody's showing, which was the you know whether it was a, a screen to Dylan or an RPO or a run play or whatever it was. The fact that we can't even properly identify the play. I mean, these are simple concepts, man. These are. I mean, every time we've seen examples of guys where there's two in the same area. They're basically quick out routes. I mean, these these are real quick, simple plays. I mean, most of the running that I've seen is um, uh, power or you know running, um, gap running, whatever. And I, I I don't fully know the concepts and how this all works, but as far as guys pulling and whatnot, I mean that's how you begin to add a little bit of complexity to it. Um, otherwise, it's just you're you're tipping off the the defense too much as far as what you're doing but uh, i mean i i, I don't know it, again the, the point is we're almost on the same page aside from i i just i don't think matt lafleur can fix this i don't think that there's any any amount of simplification that's necessarily going to fix this because they can't do the simple things right now and and again i i am we're on the same page that it is a matt lafleur issue and, you know, to some degree, same with Joe Barry, that, that might even be unfair because this is a player issue. It's on them to understand the information being presented to you. It's on them to put in the work, and it's on them to show up motivated. But at the end of the day, when the entire team is in unison not understanding, the entire team in unison is making mistakes, the entire team in unison is undisciplined, there is a human nature element here that Matt LaFleur has not tapped into. There's a human nature element in terms of how to inspire people and, and motivate people, and you wish it didn't have to be that way, where people could just self-motivate and, and freaking figure it out, put in the work, learn what you're supposed to do, get up to speed, but, you know, that that ultimately is your job. And as far as Jordan Love, I mean, I, I again, I will always concede that it's harder to win when things around you are bad. The reason I can't give him that leeway is the fact that I've just never seen anything from him to signal that he has what it takes. It's just the things around him that are causing it to seem worse than it is. We've seen plenty of situations where he's not under pressure, right? Especially in this last game, it was, I think, 26%. So 75% of his dropbacks, there were no pressure. He was fine. 
We've seen the passes sail over people's head. That's not somebody else's fault. That's his fault. So I just want to see Jordan Love do something in a vacuum that demonstrates to me he's there. I mean, we've seen that. You've seen situations where the quarterback's doing everything he can. I mean, we've seen that happen with Rodgers plenty of times. A lot of the games in which actually there was no offensive production, you could easily see it wasn't right. Like there's number one, there's a ton of pressure. And then when there isn't pressure, he tries to throw it to somebody, but they're not open. There's everybody like, it's just, it's this lockdown man cut because you got Lazard and a bunch of guys that just can't get open and they're just locking people down. Like that's a situation where you look at it and go, you know, there, there weren't errant passes. He still threw it out in front of the guy, but the defense was just so locked down. And again, I'm not calling it a drop necessarily as much as I'm calling it an inability to get open or get separation. I don't think any of us would have necessarily called it a drop. It's just now a drop because that's the new, the new buzz thing. A new cool thing. Every pass deflection is another Packers drop. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I my my thing. I just want him to demonstrate that he is doing the best with what's in front of him. Just just take what's given to you, and then I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And he isn't doing that. He's taking a bad situation and is making it significantly worse with his own play. So again, we more or less agree he's not playing well enough, but we're just looking at it differently. You're saying, I'm not going to start the clock until everything else around him gets better. And I'm saying, I started the clock and I'm not accepting the excuse. I want to see him at least play up to the potential that is being provided to him. And he's not able to do that right now. And again, how much better are things going to get for him? He still has one of the best offensive lines in football. I know nobody wants to believe that, but it's a reality. 26% pressure rate is low, and he's not getting rid of the ball fast. We, we can see that too, so that's not like, well, he's just getting the ball out of his hand fast, so that's why it looks like there's no pressure. That's not true. In fact, he still launches the ball down the field more than anybody else, you know, roughly or whatever. I don't know. Also, another thing that I saw that was kind of funny was um, when I looked at some of the penalties and stuff, I, I checked out uh, defensive pass interference yards. Jordan Love is number one. So I would say it's, it's kind of weird. He throws the ball down the field so much, and he underthrows so many balls. You would think he would get more defensive pass interference. He does. He leads the league in defensive pass interference yards. So it's like, well, at least we got that going for us. Throw deep down the field and underthrow most of those throws, and you'll get a bunch of DPI yards, which also is sad because we are dominating the league in DPI yards and still have a terrible offense. <laughs> Some of the, a lot of the yards that we get... We're benefiting from bad play, and we still can't do anything. Hey, Jersey Mike, again, real quick. Screw Joe Barry. Just, just fire him. I'm, I'm 1,000 percent positive. Just, just, just fire him midseason right now. Good cunts, do it. Good, do, do it right now, please. Anyway, thanks. Bye. Yeah, another thing that um, I was thinking about is I'm just positive now that Razul Douglas is gone. Um, you're going to start hearing like, well, that's the reason that. You know, the defense started falling apart. Thanks a lot, Brian Gutekunst. Just for the record, prior to him being gone, the defense ranked 28th. There are one, two, three, four teams with a worse defense. Carolina, Chicago, Arizona, and Denver. The 28th ranked defense in the NFL via DVOA. So I don't want to hear it. (laughs) When the defense struggles without Razul Douglas, I don't want to hear it. By the way... All, all the talk about, like, well, we, we need a guy like Razul, and, and he's so talented, and he's the, the veteran leadership and, and all that stuff. What was he, what was he giving us? What, what did we get from that? Who is he helping? You know, as, as, a, as a counterpoint to this isn't the year and everything else, and, and let's, let's recoup some value while we can, the counterpoint is, yeah, but, but he's providing a veteran leadership void. 
where in that locker room do you see the benefits of Razul Douglas's voice? I'm not saying Razul isn't trying to do a good job with the locker room. I'm saying where are the benefits? You seeing it in Jair? You seeing it anywhere? In overall production? Are you seeing it in the, the play of the other players? Where are, where are you seeing the fruits of having a true leader like Razul Douglas with this 28th-ranked defense? All those positive effects that we hear about Razul Douglas are being wasted in Green Bay. Let him go take those benefits to a team that actually will apply them. Like Buffalo, that has a good defense and could use a guy with that kind of a mentality and that kind of leadership. Because Green Bay doesn't have that. And Green Bay, as far as I can tell, isn't even really willing to listen to that. So, you know, there, there was some talk about now I'm going to be worried that Joe Barry is going to get a pass. Look, if, if Joe Barry gets a pass, then I'm, I'm just completely done. I'm, I'm all the way done because... I mean, first of all, I don't care who got shipped off. You don't get a pass. But, again, the defense has been bad all year. I don't care what the, the scores say. The scores have been low all across the league for every single team in the NFL, and we face some of the worst offenses in football. And every time we don't face one of the worst offenses in football, do we hold them to 17? No, we don't. No. We faced a Justin Jeffersonless and partially Kirk Cousinless um Minnesota Vikings team that scored like what 24 points against us this isn't a good defense come on hey Ryan uh Trevor Virginia just want to say um I appreciate what you do all the podcast content you give us sticking with the after darks when it's been ugly you Thanks. know I, I imagine these after darks have to be hard to record they're not nearly as much fun as <laughs> that is true as they have been in the past for you um but you're still sticking with it, getting our calls in, and I really appreciate that. Um, I took calls towards the end of the game, and uh, listening back to it, too, it sounded like I was kind of saying Jordan Love had a good day, um, and you were saying that we watched two totally different games. And that wasn't what I was trying to portray, even though that's how I ended up saying it. Um, but what my point was more that he wasn't worst quarterback in football like these last two weeks. No, I don't think so before, either. Um, and that he was closer to that average quarterback that we kind of – uh, you know, close to the average quarterback that we said if he's average, we could win with. He was closer to that. I'm not saying he wasn't there, obviously. Um, but it's like if, if he would have played this way in the last two weeks also, I don't think everybody would be nearly as down on him, I guess, was kind of my thought. Um, and I honestly, the first half, I thought he had a good half. I did think it. I mean, I still think the play was below the line of, like, okay, I feel good with Jordan Love as our quarterback. I mean, he still can't throw accurately deep down the field. I, I, I cannot remember one play where he hit somebody in stride. Not one. Beyond 10 yards. Not one. I, I, there there might have been one or two. I don't know. I don't remember them. And beyond 20 yards, I don't remember one this season. And, I mean, I'm sorry, but that is a baseline minimum. I understand you're going to miss some of those, but you have to be able to hit. I mean, some ter Mitch Trubisky and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, I mean, these guys can hit guys occasionally in stride down the field. I, I, maybe I just have, like, certain things that I'm getting hung up on that other people are not as hung up on, but these are the sort of, like, baseline minimum requirements that I'm still waiting for and still haven't seen. And, and everybody's like, well, that, that was still technically catchable. I don't give a crap. At some point, you have to demonstrate you can do basic, simple crap here. And I'm just, I'm not seeing that. It happened. Not many mistakes. Um, but anyway, 
I know you can always talk about love so much. Feel free to just play this and move on. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we got some better content soon. Go Pack Go. I honestly don't even know what better content looks like at this point. I mean, if you start the teardown and rebuild process, which I'm already, oh, I shouldn't even bother getting into it. Never mind. We'll we'll save that for tomorrow's podcast. Um, the 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 rebuild crowd is doing a victory lap as though the entire plan this entire year was to do a rebuild because time is is a uh, people don't understand how time works. It's uh, just whatever. People are freaking stupid. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, that's that's. I, I, I will say that that was not my least favorite Jordan Love performance, um, but it wasn't good enough to be a starting quarterback. I mean, that was still not still not anywhere near like, okay, he might be the guy level. Hey, Ryan, it's Craig. Hey, Craig. Um, still get so frustrated at uh, the lack of leveraging Aaron Jones and then hearing Matt LaFleur cite that in a press conference. It's just crazy to me. I've said it before. Why did we re-sign him for all that money? And I know he took a pay cut. But at the time, it was kind of, do we take him? Do we pick Jamal? Corey Lindsley was in the mix. And we just haven't done anything to leverage his skill and ability since that signing, which is a shame for him and for the team. Uh, then on top of that, and it, maybe this isn't true, but I hear from some other podcasts about the trade deadline and trying to trade for a running back and uh, or get one in here or next year in the draft a running back. I don't know if that's because of the contract situation with, with Jones and obviously with Dylan possibly being out, but um, as pathetic as our run blocking is, I, I don't I don't throw a lot of the, the lack of running on our running backs. Right. Even Dylan, who's had been a little hit and miss, uh, when you when you see the lack. Right. I mean, if you if you want to give anybody a pass based on the play around them, it should be AJ Dylan, and that guy gets no credit whatsoever. I mean, he has nowhere to run because we all know the. And that's the other thing: we know the run blocking is bad. We still won't give AJ Dylan a pass. And I'm not even necessarily saying he deserves a pass entirely, but um, that would be if I had to pick one person that that is being unfairly critiqued based on the situation around them. It should be A.J. Dillon. Um, but anyway, I'll let you finish, and then I'll get I to know, Any kind of opening he has to run through, um, I, I don't know why you would waste money or a pick on a running back when they're going to be stymied as much as uh, Jones or Dillon are. But I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Again, maybe it's all because of the contract stuff. But I sure wish we would uh, take advantage of Mr. Jones. He's a, he's a difference maker. Take care. Yeah, there, there really is no seeming cohesion right now. And, but, you know, we also have to remember that rumors are not necessarily much of anything. I mean, you know, if, if, if the Packers genuinely are in on all and every call, that, that has no bearing on anything being necessarily massively serious. Um, but that would have really bothered me if we... I mean, again, we, we are sellers. We have no business buying anybody. Now, if this is a really young player that you foresee being here for a long time and it's a great price and it's like this this is what we need and whatever 24 25 years old whatever okay fine maybe but um yeah running back in particular i mean even if you meet that criteria it's like i just i don't know what we're doing now again aaron jones is on a pitch count because he's injured and i I, i've said that i feel like every day for i don't know how long now um but you know, even historically, we've kind of underutilized his talents. 
And so and you, you can make an argument for, you know, you want to preserve him and you want to, you know, that's the reason he's able to play as well as he is for as long as he has. But if that's the case, fine, you shouldn't be spending that much money on him because he's only as good. I mean, his, his total production is essentially his talent times how often he's used. It's like uh, power, current times voltage, you know, in, in watts. It's not just the volts. It's not just the amps. It's, it's, it's what it is when you combine them. Aaron Jones is good, fine, but he could be the best running back in the world if he runs the ball one time. What is his total production for your team? And based on what your plans are for a running back, if, if you don't plan on running a guy into the ground, then you're only ever going to be able to get X amount of, of value from them. And if the value that you're going to be getting from them is low based on what your intended usage is, then there's a baseline maximum that you should be expending on a running back. You should not be expending more than you could possibly ever get in return for a running back, which is low to begin with. You know, it, it sounds to me more like a team that should be drafting running backs regularly and running them into the ground, which is probably a, a better strategy anyways, based on what we know about running backs and the run game and the value that they have and whatnot. I mean, expending money on veteran running backs and then not using them is probably the dumbest strategy I can possibly think of on top of the fact that we also seem to have this built-in philosophy that we need to draft tackles that are really good pass blockers and move them into the inside because of their, um, the fact that they're very, uh, you know, agile and, you know, talented pass. You know, we, we, we don't invest in run blocking, basically. And I'm sure the expectation is that we coach them up and we teach them and we, we expect them to be better than they are, but clearly that that is not a priority. It's just sort of, you know, we're going to get pass blockers and hope that we can coach them to be better run blockers, but that's not working. So why would you invest? The, just, the, just the overall strategy doesn't seem to make sense to me. And this is a team that seems to be, in a lot of other areas, kind of at the forefront, you know, at least as far as what statistics is showing, as far as, you know, they're constantly talking about explosive plays and, and passing is, is more important than running. And obviously with the defensive side of things, they're much more concerned about passing and much less concerned about your ability to run against us. And all this stuff is in line with what data will tell you is what you need to create a very uh, good football team. But then there's this weird running back thing that, that it, I'm just not able to wrap my head around. And it's, it's not even running, it's running back. Again, the offensive line, it's all about pass blocking. But they just seem to have this weird fixation on finding a running, which is fine if you want to find a running back. But the degree to which they seem to be looking for a running back. And, and again, maybe all this other stuff is fake. I don't know. I mean, obviously, earlier in the season when we thought we were contenders, maybe it still doesn't make much sense. If you're still looking at this point, I don't know exactly what you're doing. If it's that big of a deal to you, draft somebody early. It would be a better strategy. They're, they're young. They're essentially at their peak when they're young. And then you can, you know, potentially not even give them that next contract. I mean, it's similar to A.J. Dillon. I mean, and maybe that's why they did it. You invest in a second round running back. The cost isn't going to be massively high if it's, if it's a second round guy probably a good amount of talent, you know, a lot of elite running backs in the second round, con considering the low-end value. I mean, it's kind of like tight end and everything else. You, know, you can find second, third, fourth round guys that are still very talented. It's not like quarterback where if you could be potentially be a starter, there's no way in the universe you're getting out of the first round kind of thing. So it, it is a confusing thing, and, and maybe there's some pieces I'm missing. And again, some of the rumors are potentially untrue. Um, and again, with the Aaron Jones thing, it's it's, you know, it, it's it's 
it's we have to remember he's injured. But at the same time, even when he's not injured, he's going to get more opportunities, but still not as many to really change your point all that much anyways. So anyways, why don't we take a break here? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddies where you can support the podcast. You can do so for as little as $1 per month. If you'd rather not do that, there's Venmo at Packernet Podcast. Thank you for all your support. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, Ryan, it's Aaron from Eau Claire. What up? Um, I was just waxing poetic about uh, the good old days, you know, when uh, every now and then you'd see a first down um, in the first half even. Uh, as, uh, as, as our distant memories now, <laughs> um, maybe someday. Maybe someday. Good old days when we had first downs. Those were the days. Good morning, Ryan. Mike Cabrine, a.k.a. Packer Superfan. Hey, what's up? Hey, Ryan. Uh, I thought I should let you know, by the way, it's uh, the transcription. It says, good morning, Ryan. Uh, this is Packer Superman. <laughs> so maybe I'll call you that. I don't know. Uh, you know, now that it's Tuesday morning and we've had kind of a day, Monday to kind of rant about the offense and whose fault it is or, and uh, all that fun stuff. Um, <clears throat> just wanted to follow up again about the defense's performance. And I think it's really important that we all kind of just step back and we analyze this season um, a little differently um, than what we are right now. Um, you know, 
you know, there's a lot of blame to go around for sure. We've got coaches that aren't performing, that aren't doing their job. We've got we've got offensive coordinators that aren't doing their job. We've got defensive coordinators that aren't doing their job. Um, we got players that are clearly not living up to their contracts. Um, so, yeah, we, there's plenty of land to go around here. But I don't want to lose focus of the defense. And, and I know I'm going to get a lot of hell for that, and that's fine. I'll take it. You know, I you know I, I think my call right after the game, I talked about, you know, the long drives that were continued to give up and, and the fact that they had two long drives at the beginning of the game. And, and you know, everybody says, well, they're gassed. Well, we can't be gassed on the first two series of the game. Sorry. Uh, but I just want to follow up. This defense on Sunday, I don't know, I haven't heard many people mention it, gave up nine first downs of third and eight or longer. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Nine first downs of third and eight or longer. Just let that one, just let that, just let, let that little nugget rattle around in your brain for a little bit. And, and tell me when was the last time you saw that anywhere in the NFL. Um, this defense is beyond, beyond hopeless. I mean, we were we were going to be counting on this defense because we knew we had a young quarterback and we knew this offense was going to struggle early. Yeah, and that's that's another part of this too, where it's like you know, if we're going to sit back and say, well, who's really worse, the offense or the defense? Well, DVOA says defense is worse than offense, but if you look at this, I mean, just use your eyes, as I'm sure some people would say, uh, the offense is better than whatever. That's that's kind of beside the point because the defense is supposed to be better than the offense, right? There, there was low expectations for the offense coming into this season, not as low as as they've sunk to, but there was there was not super high expectations. The defense we're sitting around saying basically top five or bust. I mean, if 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 you're not top five, you're not meeting your potential. If you're not top ten, then you just suck, and you are what bottom five. Good lord. This defense had to leave the team, and they have utterly failed, utterly failed. You put that on whoever you want, put it on Joe Barry, put it on Matt for hiring Joe Barry, put it on Matt for continually stand behind Joe Barry, but somebody's got to be held accountable for this defense. And, yeah, the offense will come around eventually, but this, it's not going to matter if this defense continues to play this way. I'm out. Yeah, and, and there's no reason to expect anything else. I mean, we've never had a good performance from this defense, aside from that brief stint after the, the bye week last year, which unfortunately potentially saved Joe Barry's job to begin with and gave them hope that if they can just continue doing what they were doing, plus, hey, we're getting Rashawn back, like everything's going to be great. I mean, the fact of the matter is this defense is bottomed out. I mean, this, this is, I know Joe Barry's never had a good defense to begin with. This is becoming one of their worst um, ever, so... Yeah, it was it was a bad hire, um, bad to stick behind him, and uh, that is another thing that gets put on Matt Lafleur. I mean, if if you need more reasons or a reason, that's certainly one of them. So, no bueno. Hey, this is Dakota. That nerd in Tennessee. I ain't called in a while. What's up, man? Busier than a farmer with a shovel and a rattlesnake. Man, I, I've been all over the place. Um. But uh, I'm going to try to keep this short because I'm at work and I could be called away. If I am, then I'll just hang up and continue on a little later when I call back. But I'm just going to run. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot wrong with the team. Um, and um, I'm going to be honest. I've never seen the team in the same situation. So I 
there's a million things that, that could be done to improve different aspects of what's going wrong. And to be honest, they probably all need to be done. But if you could just do it progressively and just fix one thing at a time, I mean, yeah, the fans aren't going to enjoy it. They don't want everything fixed at once. But, man, you got to start somewhere. And it don't, don't look like they're really doing anything. Um, but I know that, Ryan, you have stated that a whole bunch of people have called in or not just the call-ins. I mean, you see it on, on Twitter and then everywhere. Um, you know, everybody has issues with, with things that are going on, and they don't really provide any any fixes, right? They, they don't they don't give instructions on what... Yeah, and, and again, I've, I've already said you don't need to have a fix to be able to identify a problem. The, the problem is that I'm having is that I'm... It's not even so much that I'm looking for fixes. I, I want someone to... Tell me what actually the problem is, like specifically, you know, because I'm getting a lot of like vague this, that or the other. Like, show me specifically something that I could actually latch onto that I can actually go back and look at and confirm or deny. So it's not even necessarily that I need a fix. It's that I just I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time engaging with what some people are saying are the problem because it's generally too vague and not something that I can you know, I mean, it, it's just kind of left at like, well, I guess that's kind of where you're at. I don't have no way of, of viewing that. That's not what I see. That's not uh, anything that I can find as far as data or, you know, going back and watching it or anything. So I, I think that's more of what I was asking for, as opposed to, you know, unless you can provide me a solution, then you need to shut your mouth or whatever. I think that's stupid. They think could or should be done. Um, and, I do. I have one idea. Now, this isn't going to fix everything, but I know it's been going through my mind um, a lot recently. So I honestly think that we should demote Adam Stinovich back to O-line. Maybe give him something more than just O-line. I don't know, assistant head coach along with – or not head coach, assistant office in the corner, something. Um, but uh, – Anyway, um, demote him back to, to, to offensive line and bring you in a, a play designer, right? So, uh, you know, some people are calling Matt LaFleur more of a play designer than a, than a uh, head coach, right? Play caller more than a head coach, like he's more of an OC. Um, well, how about this? Why don't you get somebody else that, that runs a similar system to you or comes from a similar system, that that is wanting to get their feet wet in play designing and then use them as a sounding board. Now, if that's what they're doing with Adam Sinovich right now, it, it ain't working. So, I mean, you got to change it up. So that's that's my my fix. I don't know how long I've been on here. Uh, that's my fix right there. That's, that's one of my fixes is, uh, yeah, just, just demote Adam Sinovich. He was a great O-line dude, uh, bring in a different guy, use him as a sounding board, make – you know, at a Matt LaFleur, an offensive coordinator, you know, share some more responsibilities. Anyway, y'all run out of time. Peace out. I appreciate the specifics, um, but you know none of that's going to happen. I mean, they're not going to demote their offensive coordinator because he, he's not going to accept the demotion, first of all. He's not going to be like, okay, fine, I'll go back and lose my job. And then, you know, it's he's, he's going to say F you and go get a job somewhere else, and he'll get hired somewhere else. Um. Second of all, I, I don't know that there's anybody that can be hired right now. I mean, everybody that's worth anything is already on a, on a team. You know, we got to kind of wait until the season's over before you start poaching people. So anybody that's just floating out there, 
probably not the uh, somebody that's going to make sense, especially just coming on in cold middle of the season, which is kind of the bigger part here is that the season's over. They're not looking to fix this right now. Genuinely. I mean, anybody that they're looking to hire, and, and believe me, they're looking right now, they're looking at people on other teams that they can hire when, when that team is done with their season. And they're going to call them up and they're going to see if they'd be interested in, in making some changes or whatever. Um, but that has nothing to do with right now. They are not looking to save or salvage this season, especially any drastic things. I mean, it's not to say they're not going to do some things to try to win, especially from a coaching standpoint, who's going to try everything he can to save his 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 career. Everybody's going to be pulling out all the stops to try to, you know, if nothing else, audition for another team, if not save their job here. But um, there's not going to be any front office people hiring or or allowing any, you know, even if Matt LaFleur is like, hey, I think we should hire this guy, I think the answer is going to be no. I think that's just going to be the answer because, you know, again, it's you had your chance to construct the, the, the coaching staff that you want. And, and honestly, you want to get fired. The quickest way to do that is mid-season, when the season's basically already over, come to me and say, you know what, I messed up, I want to change it mid-season, can I go hire this guy? You know what, no, just go finish out your job, make sure your stuff's in order, because after the season we're done. You had all these years to get everything in line, and you're going to come to me now and say, actually, I think I want to do this. No. Your opportunity to build your coaching staff was, you know, essentially at the end of last year. When you decided who stays, who goes, who gets hired, who gets fired, etc. Hey, this is Dakota again. I just want to clarify um, that I don't think we should take the actions that I stated right now um, because doing it in the middle of the season is not going to do anything because I honestly don't know what Adam Sinovich does as an offensive coordinator because it's really all on Matt LaFleur. Um, so other than that... Uh, yeah, we, we should try that if this continues all the way through and we have, like, a, I don't know, top 10 pick, then sure, do that. But anyway, just wanted to clarify that. All right, you know, peace. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that was an important clarification, but I, I think now we're talking about, you know, again, let's run that scenario back. Season's done and Matt LaFleur comes in my office and is like, hey, I had an idea. I think my response is, let me stop you right there. <laughs> Have a seat. I mean, I mean, really. I mean, you, you want to come in here and kind of, I don't mean you, Dakota, but like Matt LaFleur comes into my office and wants to like kind of nibble around the edges. Like you didn't want to, you don't, you don't want to come in here and talk about your performance or what you did or what you need to change or anything like that. You don't want to talk about broad sweeping changes like, you know, um, who needs to be fired and etc. You want to move this guy here and go get some, pencil scribbler to come in here and help you like with your play calling duties when we have way bigger issues tell you what we're going to do we're getting a new head coach and then we're going to work with that head coach and we're going to hire a new defensive coordinator and a new offensive coordinator and we're going to go from there and by the way can we not just is there some unwritten rule that when you fire the head coach the rest of the staff stays exactly where they are and the new head coach has to keep all those people why is everybody that has been here all the way through McCarthy still here? I mean, not everybody, but there's so many people, even through multiple defensive coordinators, are like, all right, I guess you can stay. I mean, if I'm Brian Gutekunst or Mark Murphy, I'm like, no, I want you to fill every single one of those positions. And if your position on who should be in that spot is, eh, good enough, I don't really know you, but I guess you can stay, then I don't know if you're the right guy for the job. If you don't have a very specific vision 
for what should be happening in that spot and who should be filling that, unless it's just some massive coincidence that the person's there is exactly who you envisioned, I don't think you're the right guy. I don't know what this is with this, this, this sort of like, well, there's no like perfect person for the job. It's just kind of whoever. I mean, if you're good enough, then you're good enough. No, there is a per- perfect person for the job. And if you don't know who that is, then we'll find somebody else who does. Do you have a very specific vision and people in mind for who you want leading your cornerback room, your DB room, your defensive line, your edge rushers, who I want to have their own coach, by the way. None of this, like, you know, there's a linebacker coach and a defensive line coach, like bullcrap. I want a Mike Smith in there that works just with edge rushers and does nothing but perfecting one of the most important positions on the team. And yes, we're going to pay for it. A lot of money. Do you have a specific vision for how your linebackers are going to play and who exactly is going to be in there teaching them? Not just somebody that understands your plan, philosophy, and scheme, but somebody that's going to motivate them and turn them into freaking animals. Do you have a vision for who that person is? Do you have a name that you can write down right now for who that's going to be? Because if your answer is whoever you got is probably fine, you're not getting the job. I don't understand that. Ryan, Kyle from Madison. How are you, man? Good. I'm just listening to Packers After Dark. Uh, it's Tuesday, and man, I don't think you meant this to be as funny as it was, but I am still laughing. You, you said... You know, I can't I can't go on social media. It's just upsetting me. It's not good for me. Not positive or something to that effect. And then he said, "So I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna get back to watching Hotel Rwanda." <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Hotel Rwanda was not as depressing as social media is. Wow, man, you you really know how to do the uplifting <laughs> Sunday, don't you? <laughs> I mean, granted, Don Cheadle's fantastic. In that he is. Movie, but... He's very good. He's a good actor. <laughs> you just are you like a just a masochist? I guess or... I am. I didn't even maybe think about that. Maybe if they lose that. to the Rams next week, I'm, I'm thinking like. Maybe... To be fair, I've been watching Saw movies, um, nonstop. So Hotel Rwanda is like a step step in the it's a slight step in the right. Maybe that's why I'm so like. <laughs> and I've been watching war movies. I gotta watch like comedies or something. Maybe that's why I'm so like. I can't handle anything on social media. It's like, well, yeah, because you've been watching nonstop people getting butchered. And then uh, you go watch Hotel Rwanda, which is, again, people getting butchered. And then uh, you take a break from that and go watch another movie where, uh, you know, like this this SEAL team goes in and slaughters a bunch of people and occasionally gets killed. And then you got to watch their family cry about, you know, losing uh, their father and and husband and whatnot. Um, Yeah, I should do something else. It's a good call. I think I think I think you hit on something there, <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> you could make some hamburger helper and watch Dude. Terms of Endearment and Schindler's Terms of Endearment. Schindler's <laughs> List. <laughs> All right, we'll talk. That is a good movie. See, this is how stupid I am. You said Schindler's List. I'm like, dude, I want to watch. I haven't seen that in a long time. It's a good movie. It's a very good movie. I mean, you know what I mean. Not a good movie, but it's you know what I mean. It is a good movie. Hotel Rwanda, same thing. Like, it's not good. It's freaking horrifying. Um, what, what, what did it say at the end? Like a million people were massacred? A million? It's crazy how much stuff like that happens and we don't like, everybody talks about Nazi, 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 Nazi. And it's like, I understand that they killed more than a million, but still, there's a lot of, a million people. And this isn't like, you know, China where, yeah, there was a lot of genocide, but a lot of it was just starving to death because they're idiot communists and don't know how to run a country. Or same with Russia. Like, yeah, we killed multiple millions of people but most of the deaths were starvation because we're idiot communists this is like 
one million people and 100% of those million died by either being shot or hacked with machete. I should stop talking. Why am I doing this? See what I mean? Like, I can't. Okay, never mind. Men, women, and children, too. I watched, uh, <laughs> I watched Driving Miss Daisy. You know what I learned from that movie? That, that, that too is still, there's, there's still some, some, uh, like racial undertone stuff in there. So I guess there's still some negatives, but really started to admire Morgan Freeman's character in that. Like just as a person, I don't know. I was watching it. And I'm just like, man, that's, it's one of those things you just kind of put it up on a shelf and say, you know, that's kind of like an aspiration to be a person that's kind of like that. I know I'll never get there, but just to kind of, like, put it out there as, like, a guiding post. But, yeah, I don't know. I gotta watch some stupid, uh, like, Will Ferrell movies or something. <laughs> Hotel Rwanda. That's a good call. It's a good call, man. I'm, I'm doing this to myself, 100%. Watching Saw movies and Hotel Rwanda, and I wonder why I can't handle people on social media. <laughs> With that note, why don't we take a break? We'll be right back. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. Cybersecurity declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, Ryan, it's Seth. Hey. Um, hope you're doing well. I got a couple things, so I'm going to see if I can get it um, all in on one call or not. All right. Um, First, I want to talk about some non-football stuff. Um, I think it, uh, who was it? Uh, Garrett, I think, was talking about Fertile Ground Ranch. Yeah. And um, I was wondering um, what exactly your dad's disciple, uh, I think it was Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship, what exactly they do. Sure. Um, and I was like, oh, I'd go look it up. But I was going to call in anyways, and I thought, hmm, maybe you can answer it on the After Dark uh, voicemail. That way, everyone else can hear again. And, uh, yeah can be a way for you to promote it because you have to take care of me as your caller and answer my questions. <laughs> um, no, but anyway, seriously, can you uh, remind me exactly what they do and um, remind me how to support them? Um, definitely love giving to good causes um, when I'm, when I'm able to. Um, just so much going on in the world, you know, there's so much hurt and, you know, other countries and stuff, but uh, I really like being able to take care of people a good segue from the last call by the way um you know close to home as well and uh yeah uh let us know my second thing is i think this i left you a voicemail about this it might have gotten i think it sorry i was typing and couldn't pause that in time all right so uh, let me let me give you a little bit of a backstory I, I don't i mean i i'm pretty much an open book with everything i tell you guys everything that's going on in my life or whatever i haven't gotten super deep into stuff that isn't necessary but just to give you a little background, I grew up with alcoholic parents. And when I say alcoholic parents, I mean my mom and dad split very early, but very, very bad alcoholics. Some of the earliest memories I have are, you know, police over at the house. I remember getting taken away by the police, given to my grandparents, 
because my parents were fighting and et cetera, et cetera. I almost went into uh, state custody, but my grandparents came in to save the day. My grandma actually that just passed away down in Florida. Um, she took me in for a little while and my parents went to jail for a little bit, which was a recurring thing that happened a lot. Um, my mom was not in my life. They had a custody hearing. My mom did not show up to the custody hearing. She wrote me a note basically saying it would be better if I just wasn't with her. Dad ended up getting remarried to a woman with two kids. They had their own kids. So I got two stepbrothers and a half-sister. Had, because they ended up getting divorced too. The alcohol thing continued. My stepmom was pretty abusive, not physically, but mentally, emotionally, etc., etc. My dad was never home. And when he was, it was a lot of fighting, a lot of drinking. Um... Not a good environment. I was sort of the odd man out because the other three kids were my stepmom's kids. I was not. She didn't like me very much. She didn't treat me very well. Second grade, real bad blow-up fight. My grandparents from Wisconsin came down and I went to go live with them. So in second grade, I was in Wisconsin. I lived with them. And then I got sent back to my parents' house because they promised everything would be different. Nothing was different. This happened again in fifth grade. Knockdown, drag-out fight. Police involved, which was a somewhat regular occurrence. My brother and I'd walk home from school and there'd be cop cars in the front yard and whatnot. But this is one where my grandparents again came down, they took me away, whatever. Spent fifth grade in Wisconsin. This time, my dad, he goes to AA, says things are going to be different, and I'm like, there's no way. Well, it actually was this time. My dad did go to jail, and then when he got out of jail, he went into a hotel room. And essentially, from his own words, he was just going to drink himself to death, and he basically almost did. And apparently at one point, he ran out of alcohol and looked himself in the mirror, and just everything changed when he saw himself. Let me read you this little part. My dad, uh, on Fertile Ground Ranch, there's a blog there, and he wrote a little bit about what happened. Here's from his words. In August 1997, having landed in jail again, I was sucker punched by the reality of my situation. I couldn't dismiss the reminder that the last time I was in jail, I swore I'd never end up there again. But I had made the same promise to myself that time before that, and the time before that, and well, you know how that goes. I suddenly realized I had no ability to change the trajectory of my life. As hard as I would try, I would be in jail again, and certainly in misery again. After being released from jail that night and in utter despair and defeat, I stopped at a liquor store, bought a large quantity of alcohol, got a hotel room, began to drink. After a day and a half of nonstop drinking, all that remained was empty bottles. I wanted more, but knew I was in no condition to do anything about it. Suffering from painful cravings and more alcohol and the agony of withdrawal symptoms, I experienced a loneliness and hopelessness that was darker and more frightening than anything I'd ever experienced or thought possible. In panic desolation, I stumbled to the bathroom and caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. Turning to, more, turning to look more closely, I was shocked at what was looking back at me. It wasn't the man I would usually see, the one who thought he was in control of his life or could turn things around if he just tried harder. It was as if I was given a vision of what I really was, a helpless drunk whose best efforts got him to the lowest of low places, a man who was dead in his trespasses and sins. Staring back at me was a frightening image of a corpse that was literally wearing filthy rags for clothes. He says, as the reality of my hopelessness and depravity gripped me, I caught a glimpse of another image looking at me from above. I looked up and saw what I believed to be the face of God smiling at me. He says, now remember I was consuming alcohol for almost 36 hours straight, so it's possible that the image in the mirror uh, above me was a hallucination, but something about that smiling face brought me to an immediate and profound sense of being loved and accepted, even as what I really was in my sin nature. At that moment, I believe that God was revealing to me that he loved me, not only despite what I really was, but also because of what I really was, a sinner in need of grace. He came to me that day, a vile, drunken sinner, and showed to me that he loved me. The peace of God that surpassed all understanding had now gripped me, and the gospel message that had eluded me my whole life was now a firm foundation um, upon which my new life would be built. So anyways, um, for many, many years, my dad had gone to AA and started sort of exploring 
churches. This was kind of a new thing. We didn't really go to church, even though we were always told that God existed and all that kind of stuff. We didn't do church or pray or we didn't even own a Bible, any of that kind of stuff. We were kind of nominal Christian family, I guess. And that's just kind of how it went. My dad didn't drink. Home life still wasn't great. My stepmom kind of stopped drinking as much because, I mean, a lot of her full-blown alcoholism, I guess, was just matching what my dad was doing. I don't really know. Kind of ticked me off, to be honest, because it's like, oh, so you, you, you don't have a problem. You can stop whenever you want. You just felt like being, okay, cool. <laughs> but eventually there was kind of a change. He went from like a hardcore AA guy to a hardcore church guy. And there was kind of a big split because, you know, his AA sponsor and whatnot was like, don't go down the path of being like one of those church people because then you're going to give up on AA. You're going to start drinking again. But he just really realized that that was what was important and that's the direction he needed to go. Um, and then I guess the final part of the story would be that the more he went from church to church to church, he just felt like something was missing. And he really felt like AA provided something that the church should have but wasn't. That AA was actually doing a lot of things right that the church just, you know, wasn't doing. And that, in fact, the, the Bible does tell people to do things more similarly to what AA was. Because AA was built on the foundation of, of Christianity. It isn't really anymore, but it was. And so he decided that he wanted to start a ministry. And this is a long time ago. This We're talking back in like probably 2004, 2005-ish is when he had this idea to start this ministry. And the, the simple premise essentially is, you know, with a lot of churches, what you have is you simply walk in, you hear a story, and you walk out. And there are, you know, some things about we need to be working together. So you, you might get together with somebody for lunch or have some, some kind of a potluck, you know, bonding thing. But that there should be more to it than that, and the Bible actually commands that. And that is to essentially make disciples. And that is to say, when somebody like my dad says that there there is a change, there is a conversion, there is something that takes place. There needs to be somebody that can grab a hold of them, like they do in AA, and walk them through step by step how to live this new life. In AA, I mean it was it was seriously my he was dictated to every step of the way by his sponsor. Every day he had to make the bed. He was told to do things like put your socks on a different way, take a different way to work. He attended multiple meetings a day. He had to read certain books, certain passages, memorize certain things, this, that or the I mean he was he had to call his sponsor certain, uh, you know, this many times in a day. You know, that there's the 12 steps, which my dad put me through when I had my issue in college, which was brutal. It's brutally difficult, not from a work standpoint, but, you know, the things that you're being asked to do, like talk to people that you've wronged, make a list of those people, and then go talk to them about it. That is, that is a horrible thing to have to go through. It essentially is sort of like a boot camp. And, and again, church doesn't necessarily have that, and that is what's missing. And that is what my dad is looking to provide. And so he tends to reach out to people that are um, at their lowest, that are looking for similar things that my dad was looking for. He reaches into the prisons, uh, finds people that struggle with addiction, and he provides a um, place of refuge and a training ground. And there, there is a place for them to live. There is work for them to do on the farm, farm filled with animals and whatnot. So there is a bed to sleep on. There is work to do. There's also a way to get away from the life that you're in because it's hard to change your life when you're still living it every day. But then there is a curriculum and there is work to do and there is a path that you have to follow step by step to understand what this new life actually is, what it means, and how you're to live now in your new life. So I know this is a very long thing, and I'm sure that there are people that are not interested or whatever, but again, this is a twice-daily podcast, and it feels good to go on a different path. Let, let me just end with this. This is a different part of uh, the website, and it just says how God gave me a passion for discipleship. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just to kind of summarize, again, in his words, which are better than mine. Oh, and by the way, he's he's done 
a lot of work. He went to Moody Bible Institute. He um, volunteered for years at Pacific Garden Mission down in Chicago, south side of Chicago down there, a place that basically houses the homeless and whatnot. But here's a little snippet. He says, At the root is a single major revelation that came to me in a class I took at Moody Bible Institute while working on my bachelor's degree in biblical studies. The class, Life on uh, Life on Life Discipleship, revealed to me that while the Bible gives explicit examples of the qualities and commitments of true disciples, it also demonstrates the teaching methods Jesus used to develop these traits and how we are similarly instructed today to carry out the Great Commission of Matthew 28. And again, the the main crux of this is he just felt that what was needed was not being provided, and he felt that he needed to provide it. And so there you go. So yeah, you can support them at FertileGroundRanch.org if that sounds uh, like something that is in uh, in line with uh, your beliefs or um, just a general good in the world that you would like to be a part of and support. I got chopped off or I missed the call, but I don't think I missed it um, or the episode. Um, so I'm just going to ask it again, and, and no worries. I know you get a lot of calls and got to hit the reset button at game time. Um, my question is, if we do move on from LaFleur, um, what coaches do you see as prospects um, to take over? And my thought is I want an offensive guy, cause yeah. whether we stick with Love for one or more years or draft somebody else. I want, I want that up-and-coming offense. I want to be the Dolphins. I think that's how you win in the NFL. Don't get me wrong, I want a good defense, but I just think defensive-minded head coaches, they just have that gap with, you know, being able to connect and help their young quarterbacks, and I think that's important. Maybe if we had a vet quarterback, you can get away with that. But um, anyways, who do you think that might be? Um, Also, what quarterbacks you personally would you like, do you like in the draft, and how high do you of a pick do you think we would need to get one? Um, and if we can't get one of those guys, do you want to take a chance on another guy? Do you want to pick up a vet next year? Do you want to give Love one more year and see what happens um, and draft someone that can help him potentially, like Marvin Harrison Jr. or that left tackle out of, uh, I think it's Penn State or something. But anyways, just want to get your thoughts on those uh, couple things. I'm starting to, I'm starting to do my my uh, pre-draft yeah. work a little bit, watch some tape and stuff, so. Some things I'm thinking through. Talk to you yeah, later, now, now is the time. Yeah, thanks for the call. I appreciate that, and I uh, appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about Furrowground Ground Ranch. Um, the, um, I, I think the draft is now, I mean, if, if you're not into it, look, just get into it. I know some people just get annoyed. It's just, it's, it's fun. It's an additional thing. It's kind of like fantasy football. It's just another th- way to enjoy football. Um, just try it. You might like it. I, I I know every impulse in your body says you think it's stupid or whatever, but um, like I said, find something to be hopeful for. If you still want to cling to the season, fine. If you feel like there's no hope in the season, then find hope in next year and just just have some fun. Um, as far as the quarterbacks, um, I kind of went through phase one and I went through it with you, which was I just watched highlights and then went through and did a deep dive into some of their statistics I'm I'm really torn and kind of a, a little bit upset. I, I do need to move into phase two, which is actually watching some of their their actual game tape. But I'm kind of getting off the Caleb Williams train, and maybe I shouldn't. Maybe that's unfair, but it's just been so ugly, and there's some glaring issues with Caleb Williams. Um, and maybe maybe that's overblown. Again, I, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of nibbling around the edges right now. Uh, Drake may I've done almost no looking into, I mean, aside from what I told you, but I, I, I need to kind of watch him. Um, 
Shadur Sanders, I mentioned I like. Um, I did watch him last week, and, uh, you know, obviously it's not as exciting when you watch a guy live as opposed to watching their highlight reels, but I, I still am a fan of him. Penix, I know I really did like, but I, I've noticed I just went and looked a couple days ago, and, and, like, you know, he started off super hot, but the last three or four weeks have been not as good. So that there, there definitely needs to be sort of a you know, monitoring these situations. Caleb Williams is a big one that needs to be monitored um, because some of the negatives are certainly glaring. I don't know if that's enough to make him not the number one pick, but um, it's worth keeping an eye on. Um, but I, I also am kind of hoping that some of these other guys can move up because right now it's like there's there's the two guys and then there's basically second round picks. You know, some of them might go late first or whatever, but none of that seems ideal for the Packers um it would be nice if whether that's Penix or Sanders or whoever can kind of emerge as a a legitimate you know potential top 10 top 15 prospect it just it just would make it feel like we're in better hands in terms of making sure that there are a lot of really good options to choose from um but yeah I mean I'm that sort of needs to be phase two I guess and I uh I guess I'll probably do that this week would make sense at least get started on it either confirm or deny some of the stuff and you know again one of the benefits of of watching jordan and even watching rogers in 2022 which i didn't really i never really put rogers under the microscope prior to 2022 because it's freaking rogers i mean whatever he's doing is right and he can do no wrong but you start watching him and you realize that some of the things are not going great and then that's when i started to like um who's the titans guy uh will levis um, now under further scrutiny, I was kind of iffy on Will Levis, but one of the first things that stood out is his ability to kind of stand in the pocket and not be flustered by pressure. He would stand in and make these throws. And that was one of the things that bothered me about Rogers is I think, especially in his older years, he kind of doesn't really like getting hit anymore. So he started getting happy feet or whatever. So, so that was one of the things that stood out to me for Will Levis. So you kind of see some of the negatives that you want to overcome. Like you watch Jordan, it's like, man, he just can't hit the deep. So you watch anybody throw a 40-yard pass in stride, and it's like, that's my guy right there. That's my that's my dude. So it'll be good to kind of, you know, watch the play-by-plays with the All-22 and see, you know, the, the timing and the rhythm and how he performs under pressure. And, you know, as the ball gets further down the field, a lot of this we can see with statistics, but it's good to just watch it and see kind of get your own feel. I mean, that's what makes it fun anyways. I mean, anybody can look at statistics and just kind of say, this guy is the best, which I do. And it's, it's, it's fun to do that for me as well. But it's also nice to just find guys that, that you like, you know, that you like to watch that based on what you're watching, you just kind of get this, this feeling for. And a lot of times those two things don't line up and that's fine. Um, And then as far as the head coaching thing, um, I did go over that once before. But you had mentioned wanting to be kind of like Miami, and that certainly is an option. The offensive coordinator for Miami is is one of the guys that certainly is going to be considered because, you know, you start looking at Miami and what they're doing, and you assume that there's going to be a coaching tree coming out of that. Whether or not this person would be a good head coach or whatever is kind of not 100% known, but everybody's going to want to look at Miami and say that is kind of the cutting edge. That's what everybody wants. And so Frank Smith is that offensive coordinator. I mentioned him before, but we might as well go in a little bit more uh, detail. First of all, he did get his start in Miami, but it was Miami of Ohio. So, <laughs> um, graduate assistant there, that was in 2004. Moved to offensive line at Butler in 2006, then was the offensive coordinator slash offensive line coach for Butler. 
Then he moved to the NFL in 2010 with the New Orleans Saints. He was an assistant offensive line coach. He did that for one, two, three, four, five years. Then he went to Chicago and was their tight ends coach for one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's He was a tight ends coach for six years. He was a tight ends coach in Chicago for three, Oakland Raiders for two, Vegas Raiders, so for Raiders for three, I guess. Then he was the run game coordinator slash offensive line coach for the L.A. Chargers and then became the offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. Now, he is 42 years old, so still relatively young. It would be interesting to kind of dig into what was the reason for this hire because I'm not seeing a ton of overlap between McDaniel, McDaniels and Frank Smith. Like, it's not like, well, we work together or whatever. I mean, this was, this was a hand-picked person for one reason or another. Here's the other thing that's worth noting about uh, Frank Smith, and I'll be I'll get in early on this because I'm sure this is going to be a big thing that's going to come up that you're going to hear a lot about. Do you know where Frank Smith is from? He's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He went to Cedarburg High School in Wisconsin. So he is a Wisconsinite. Probably, if I had to guess, he grew up a Packer fan who may have the opportunity to get his first head coaching gig for the Green Bay Packers next year. Now, is he the right hire? I don't know, but I think he is going to be at, a, at the top of a lot of lists because he hitched his wagon to the right horse, essentially. But at the end of the day, nobody's going to care because they're going to look at it and say, you bring what you learned over two years under, you know, that head coach. Bring it here. 